Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Badass Women's Hour. Welcome to this month's edition of the Badass Women's Hour. As ever, we will be discussing all the news and views that we can pack into this hour slot. But today we have a focus because it is London Fashion Week. And so if you've been walking down the streets and you've seen lots of very tall, glamorous, beautifully dressed people, those aren't the models, those are everyone going to the shows, we will be talking about what that means for London, what it means for fashion, and where the innovation in the fashion industry really is. I am joined by a fabulous panel, as ever. Um, and they'll be giving all their thoughts and opinions on really what we're doing to take into the 21st century, or the 22nd even. Let's go really future thinking. So, starting from my right, panel, can you introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Natalie Campbell. I'm one of the co-hosts, so here every month. And I'm really excited about this one because we, we are joined by our first man. So save all of your questions and I, I'm looking forward to really digging into an area that's quite dear to my heart, um, not just the fashion side but also the sustainability and how we think about taking an industry that hasn't always been known for sustainability or for me I feel has sort of been on the back foot in terms of technology and how we can move that forward. Hello, my name is Jessie Baker. Very excited to be here this morning, bright and early. Um, I'm from Provenance.org. Um, so I started Provenance in order to help businesses make their supply chains more transparent. So I think I'm here slightly more on the sustainability side. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really excited this morning to talk a bit about innovation in fashion, for sure, but then also about how we can innovate in order to make the fashion industry help everybody, not just a few really rich people. I'm Matthew Drinkwater, head of the Fashion Innovation Agency at London College of Fashion and uh, I run a small unit at the college which is helping designers and brands use technology to help change the way they make their collections. So we do a lot of work in smart materials and smart processes, change the way they show their collections so we've been very active at Fashion Week and then ultimately use technology to help change the way they sell those collections as well. So it's, uh, it's lovely to be here right in the middle of fashion. Hello, uh, my name is Martine Jalgaard and I have my own brand, uh, which is called Martine Jalgaard London. Uh, we were showing here for the first time, or debut on schedule, uh, upstairs on Saturday, which was really exciting. And um, it's very much related to new technology because it was the world's first mixed reality fashion show. Um, so I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. I also care a lot about sustainability and I believe that technology is probably one of the most important tools um, which will affect fashion and hopefully change it as well. Thank you. 
thank you. So I think we've got a kind of lovely, diverse and really forward-thinking panel. Martina, I'm so excited <laughs> to hear about your show, so we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, but as ever, we always start off with a little roundup of things that have been in the news in the last month that are interesting us. And we like to put our panel on the spot and ask them for the thing that's been most fascinating them in the news recently. And I really don't think we've ever had quite as good an answer to this as Jessie is about to give us. So, <laughs> Jessie, tell us about the news story that you're most interested in at the moment. Well, at 6.30am on a Monday, the news story I'm most interested about is SpaceX. I was pretty interested in uh, Elon Musk's approach to trying to launch rockets and how they always seem to crash. Another one crashed this month, which I think... Um, it's testament to uh, failing is good if you really want to reach audacious <laughs> goals. Today, um, as I was on The Guardian, yeah, apparently he's announced an interplanetary uh, system for exploring uh, exploring our solar system. So I was, for me, that's the most interesting news story at 6.30am this morning. But I, I did also bring up a few other things which I think have graced the news recently that I found interesting, particularly related to fashion. One of which was the the founder of Zara being the most the, the richest guy in Europe and the richest retailer in the world, which I found quite interesting. Indeed, with Philip Green and other stuff going on, I feel like rich people in fashion have been gracing <laughs> the news quite a lot recently. So what do we think about Zara or tell me the name of the bigger brand overall Interdex has made them or has made him the richest man in Europe, the richest retailer? Well, I think most innovation in fashion is happening around extracting profits, basically. How can we make the most out of, uh, you know, out of clothes? And I think, I think Zara have had a, a, I mean, I personally think they've got a really interesting business model and have been making clothes in a slightly different way, a bit more progressive, like less waste and had a lot of positive things. But I think, yeah, I just feel like it's interesting that even with so many bad things happening behind the scenes in fashion, people are still becoming the richest man in Europe. So this move towards kind of instant profits, instant money, where's the money behind fashion? Matthew, that kind of leads into what you were going to talk about, because you're saying that it's actually maybe changing what Fashion Week is all about. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion. I think Burberry today do their first see now, buy now collection. So what you see on the catwalk, you can buy straight away. And I think it's it's beginning to have an impact on the rest of the industry. So there's been a smattering of designers beginning to experiment with it. And it, I think it, it changes fundamentally what Fashion Week is about. And I think throws into question what designers like Martine will do in the future and how they begin to bring their collection to market. I think if you've got a huge retail footprint like Burberry, it's a relatively simple thing to begin to put your collection into stores from the day that you show it but if you don't have that then I think can be a little bit more challenging but it's certainly created uncertainty and I think what I like about that discussion is for the first time that I can remember designers are actually allowed to question the way that they show their collection and for the very first time they can begin to think about doing what's right for them rather than what the industry has always told them. That's right really interesting. So they're starting, so innovation is actually coming into a place where it's about what's right for you as a designer, as a brand, as a business. So are we going to see the end of London Fashion Week, spring, summer, autumn, winter, and just London Fashion Week? Yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely hope so, because I think 
sticking to those traditional seasons is something which doesn't match with a retail model. Okay. And you can, you can see the impact of technology in, in that social media made this a very open event uh, to what was a traditionally very closed industry. And experiments like the ones that Martine has been working on this weekend give another insight into how designers are going to be able to use technology to reach a huge audience and do it in a much more immersive way. So I think Fashion Week will remain really important and it should be the celebration of everything that this city is great and, and well known for, which is its creativity. But um, let's, let's see designers doing it their own way and doing it in a way which is exciting and interesting and not being told what to do. Who actually knows in this room what London Fashion Week is for? That's one hand. <laughs> <laughs> Who follows any of what's going on on the catwalk? Okay. And then does that influence your decision to go into a shop and buy something? Absolutely not. Okay. Who gets frustrated when they walk into a store in summer and they can't buy a swimsuit or bikini because it was in the store in the autumn? Yeah. Uh, most people. Well, so for me, that it, the idea of things being on the catwalk and in the store makes perfect consumer sense for me as the individual. I get frustrated if I walk in and the sun is still blazing outside and there are only jumpers in store or dark colours. It just feels really counterintuitive. And I think it goes back to my initial point about the fashion industry being so behind, in my opinion, behind the curve. Music's been disrupted, television's been disrupted. And fashion's managed to kind of cling on to this. This is the way we operate. Um, we're not kind of going to let technology and, and social media disrupt what we do too much. But it hasn't then benefited us as a consumer. So on that, Martine, tell us a little bit about what you did mm. yes. this year at London Fashion Week um, that everyone is so kind yeah. of excited and yeah. slightly scared by. Yes. What we've been working with is augmented reality, mixed reality. And essentially, it's a new technology which was uh, developed by Double Me, the company which we did the partnership with, also with them, um, or through Fashion Innovation Agency. And essentially, it's, I'll tell you a little bit about the process, because I think it's quite important in terms of, I mean, it's, it's really illustrating that it has a potential, potential to become really accessible and, and democratize the whole um, fashion experience, which I think is important. So what we did was that, you know, the blue screen, when you do the recording, we had a, a cube or a space room where everything was blue and the model is in there and she's recorded from eight different cameras and that material is then processed into a 3D material and then later on to a holographic material, which you then experience through the HoloLens. So by having mixed reality and augmented reality, you see your surroundings. So if you were wearing the HoloLens right now, you would be seeing everything around you as it is right now. But on top of that, you'd be having a layer, which was maybe, maybe you'd have the, you know, the fashion show right here or right here. So you have this added layer onto uh, what you're already seeing. And for me, this was extremely important because you still have the link to reality, but it's, it's another dimension which you're adding. And the fact that you are pre-recording all the material makes it, I mean, actually what we did was we just had one model and then we've cloned the model. And it was something which I really liked because I thought it was a little bit freaky. And I also liked that actually that for a small design company like, like mine, a startup, 
it actually, with the resources, doing a fashion show requires a lot of money. And like this, you can, you can sort of like duplicate one model. Um, and also visually, the, the whole idea of it, I like the message in it. And I think that's, that's a really important tool that with technology now you can actually achieve something which is not uh, limited by a huge set, by a lot of people, by a lot of money and, and by one place. Actually, when you can put on the HoloLens and you can experience that show anywhere. So we had the big, you know, we were on schedule on London Fashion Week on Saturday when we were here upstairs and we had, you know, five HoloLenses and people came in, they experienced it. And then we had another day yesterday where we were in the library here and we had a couple of HoloLenses as well and people came in to experience the second day and really there was, it was only the surroundings which were different. Martin, now just for people who don't know, can yeah. you describe what a HoloLens is? Sorry, a HoloLens is a, um, it, it's just like a weird pair of glasses, uh, I don't know how to describe headset. it, a headset, headset, thank you. It has a, a microphone, it's not really, um, it, the sound isn't the most important thing in in our experience, but essentially it's just glasses and then you can see uh, what we've pre-recorded, but you do need the glasses for that. So you could be anywhere, anywhere in the anywhere. world and watching your fashion show. Exactly. And I think that has a huge potential because up until now the fashion show has been limited to a very few uh, people. It's been a, a very exclusive audience and this can really transport it. I mean, essentially you could have the pre-recording and then you could say, we launch it at this time and you could launch it worldwide so you, everybody could see it from wherever they are. And so is that different though than say, we're gonna film it and put it on our website? It is different because this is an experience where it's three-dimensional, you have your journey, you decided so where, and, and this is something I've been thinking a lot about and I think it's hugely fascinating because the way that we are used to perceiving things or like communicating is very much based on 2D. We are communicating through screens and prints mainly. And of course, like videos, they show you more of a three-dimensional experience, but this is your own, own experience where you put on the glasses and you have the models, the virtual models in front of you and you walk around them and you explore it and I think there's a huge difference between sit. I mean, when I see footage for like when I'm at a fashion show and people, they're there physically, but they're not really there because they're on their iPhone and they're on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And it just, it irritates me, this lack of presence. And I just think there's a huge difference between being passive. It's sort of like sitting back in the sofa, just watching the TV and having the remote control and not being quite disinterested. Where actually when you get up and you engage and it's, that's been, you know, one of the, we were just talking about that that for me, whenever somebody puts on the HoloLens for the first time, I think I'm almost enjoying it as much as the person putting them on and experiencing it for the first time. I mean, sometimes it's just, it's this childish uh, sense of exploration and being amazed and surprised and the world we live in, I don't think you get that, that you don't get that experience very often. So it's... And I think that's a really lovely concept, which is that childish idea of being amazed and surprised, mm. because that's what, for me, Fashion Week was supposed to be about, right? Yeah. It was supposed, particularly London Fashion Week, mm. it was supposed to be this insane creativity, a kind of view into this amazing mind, designer yes, mind that yes. I didn't have. And have we kind of, have we lost that? Yes. In the commercialization, <laughs> everybody's like, yes. In the commercialization and, I guess, money drive behind fashion. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's there's a danger in switching to see now and buy now, mm -hmm. and totally commercialising what we see on a catwalk because I think it, it begins to build in this expectation of 
yes, what I see on the catwalk is what I'm ready to buy. And as you've just demonstrated, no one's ready to buy from the catwalk. <laughs> Fashion Week shouldn't be about just selling those clothes that go down the catwalk. It should be a celebration of incredible talent that we have in this city. And, you know, I think there is a danger of beginning to shift into a model which is, you know, New York has been well recognised for its commerciality, but that excitement that has always surrounded London, that little bit of rebellion, and the fact that we have so many astonishing designers based here, is something that I'm, I'm very cautious that we don't lose. And I think it's why technologies like mixed reality have the opportunity to allow designers at whatever level they are to create something and reach an enormous audience. And it shouldn't be that every element of that is directly shoppable. At some point, I guess if you like something, you're prepared to wait. To I mean, I, I, when you were talking, I kind of got, I stopped on the bit where you were like, there could be multiple years. And I was like, oh, multiple Natalie's in the morning with different outfits on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is Monday's outfit, Tuesday's outfit, yeah. Wednesday, not too sure. Mm. Um, so we get, but, and I think that is the natural thing that people do. You have to take something that, that's out there and you think, well, how does this impact my life? My issue with the shows is possibly the bit that's connected to what you do. It's the waste. It's the waste and the elite element of it. So yes, you can enjoy if you're in that space, if you're in that network, if you live in that world and you can be in that room. If you're not in that world, you have to view it through social media or, or other means. And then connected to that, so first of all, simply it's sort of an in-crowd, and then there's all of this waste that goes on for this, for the show. And I'm not sure if the industry in the pursuit of, of the beautiful and the, the, the performance is thinking about, well, how do we become more sustainable in terms of waste, in terms of the amount of money that we spend? Um, I heard, you know, there's a designer that isn't actually making a lot of, of, of money in terms of revenue, is spending millions because they get sponsorship on shows. To me, as a, as a business person, as a businesswoman, I think it's absolutely ludicrous to do that. But for the spectacle, they believe it's part of the performance and part of the art. And I can't quite reconcile that, given all of the issues that are going on with the industry. So certainly designers do like to spend a lot of money on shows. That's, <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. I think there's um, a couple of things there. I mean, in terms of sustainability, I think that goes through the entire fa fashion supply chain. And I think when we as consumers begin to address our behaviour in the way that we consume, I think that's a much bigger issue when we're prepared to walk into Primark and pay a pound for a t-shirt or even a pair of jeans. I think there are some questions about that. And I think that is where there's a much bigger issue. And I think um, we as individuals have to have a think about our actions. I think... The Fashion Week side of it, that there's an exclusivity, will always be the case because you're looking at the very pinnacle of, of the design tree. And this is people who are, are beginning to set an agenda in the industry. And I think that is something which should be championed. Um, it's effectively getting to an art level. Um, it's not that everybody is going to buy everything at Fashion Week, but it does begin to have an influence. And you see that trickle-down effect into the likes of Inditex, who will be watching those shows very closely to replicate everything uh, that gets made on the catwalk very quickly. So, yeah, I think a couple of different issues. We need to look at all of the processes in making 
to reduce the waste in that. And again, I think technology has a huge part to play in that. I talk a lot about 3D modelling, and 3D modelling has been around for a long time and is used by a lot of shoe designers, but when you talk to traditional fashion designers, there's a, this enormous pushback on using technology, and it, um, it's extraordinary to me because, mm. as you know, yeah. you design in 2D, mm. you have back front. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to be able to actually look at that process in 360 could totally transform mm. the way that you make. And I just want to quickly, the audience poll, and I want to find out what Jesse thinks on this, because of the provenance. The audience poll, how many of you think about where the product that you're about to buy, where it's come from? How many of you would make a different shopping decision if you thought that any kind of sweat labour or um, malpractice has been part of their product? How many of you know where to go to find that information? Yeah, like about five people, six people. Jesse. Well, I was just going to touch on something I thought you were were bringing up, which was waste, actually. I mean, I think really interesting. I mean, I I agree with what you're talking about in the fashion shows are turning into art pieces, and that I think the physicality of that is fine. But I also just love the idea that if we're more and more experiencing fashion and selecting what we want to wear through a lens rather than just making a load of stuff and putting it in 200 short stores and then oh we're just going to have to get rid of 50% of that because no one actually wanted it like I love I love the idea that we can start to experience fashion and decide what we want to buy through a, a virtual means and, and I, I don't know I kind of think also that is breaking down the barrier to entry as well and, and allowing more people to partake in showing what they can do and the talent they have rather than just people that can afford to be in shows so yeah I'm really excited about it um yeah I mean I think Technology, in a way, is not only kind of connecting us to be able to experience shows and the end product, but I think it's also becoming quite clear that it's connecting us a bit closer to what's going on behind the manufacturing of our things. Um, Not just journalists and the news, but I think it's also things like Twitter and Instagram and people being traveling more and more and the world being just generally flatter, that's meaning we're, we're getting quite a good idea of actually what's the reality behind creating all these things. Why don't you share with everyone what? Provenance actually is. Yeah, sure. Um, so I started Provenance because I felt that businesses should there, should, there needs to be a method for businesses to compete more on sustainability rather than just price and brand that's being built largely fictitious means like advertising. Um, I felt technology had more could have more of a role to play in in uh, in supply chains in order to be able to extract information and allow people to make um, better choices about purchases all the way along the supply chain. So not an audacious goal at all. <laughs> um, so started it very much focused in fashion. My background's in manufacturing engineering and I worked at American Apparel in LA for a long time and I felt like the fashion industry was the one that really needed to be disrupted there. Unfortunately, the fashion industry felt differently and now we work, <laughs> probably 85% of the work Providence does is in food, um, which is fine. And food is, I, I hate to say it, but light years ahead of fashion in terms of sustainability, compliance and certification. But I still have great hopes for for fashion to be able to follow in its footsteps. So what Providence does is we're really a tool to help businesses be more transparent through a framework. So there's been quite a few brands pioneering transparency in general. Um, Brands like Everlane in America who have opened up all of their factories. Essentially what we're trying to do is make it as easy as possible for brands to be able to open up information that's, that's truthful. Recently, we've actually been getting into some quite serious geekery in that not only do we help brands um, <laughs> open up information, we also help them prove certain bits of data. 
So helping them track <coughs> products through supply chains, um, store kind of very secure versions of certification in order to be able to double check like what's going on in the supply chain. But again, mostly in food. Um, however, I think we're about to do a project in cotton. So tracking organic cotton to ensure that um, it is organic cotton when it gets to, to store through quite quite complex supply chains, as, as you can imagine. And yeah. how do you think the fashion industry is going to, when you do that project, how do you think the fashion industry is going to respond? Um, well, yeah, I, I actually had quite a lot of negativity come my way from the fashion industry, as you quite might imagine. I had someone like get very close to my face and tell me that like the fashion industry would, would melt and die before it became transparent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, which is probably true. I mean, maybe that is true. But yeah. Matthew, you were nodding when Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm hardly like a you know diehard activist. I'm just like it's, a geek trying to yeah. make a change. Like, you know, it's like... Where does it come from? This astonishing elitism that still exists, and an industry that is still traditionally run by a generation that yeah. is not used to the kind of technologies that. Um, Jesse and I and Martine are employing. So I think that traceability, and we've, we've talked to a lot of big fashion retailers about the use of technology within garments. We're very interested in beginning to look at how we could connect our clothes to the internet. And you see RFID tagging being used traditionally by retailers to manage stock levels and inventory. And success for a fashion retailer is when the item is sold, and that's the point at which they take off the RFID. And so they have no idea where that product goes, how many times it's worn, how many times it's washed. And so they have no idea when that garment might be coming to the end of its cycle. They like to have a guess, because that's pretty much how things work. You guess. Um, but wouldn't it be interesting if they could begin to understand seriously what happens to our clothes? And could they begin to communicate with you as individuals in a completely different manner? And would that offer them a new way of generating revenue. Well, yes, it would. Uh, uh, is anyone ready to do that? I think it's a way off. But, I mean, projects that we run with designers and brands are, in a very small-scale way, looking to change that. And I think that's what we have to do. Do you think it has to be a movement that starts with small brands and then goes up? Or do you think, hmm. could it be a movement where it actually starts on a customer and consumer level, maybe with kind of social media and that level of activism, and then comes back to the designers. Martin, what do you think? Well, I'd like to see it from the big brands as well, yeah. but I just, I, I, there's a sense, like, that I'm just seeing them hesitate somehow. There, few of them, they are, they're working with innovation in relation to sustainability. For instance, Nike yeah. has been working with um, knitting, shoes instead of, uh, of producing it traditionally and that that is really reducing the the cost and the waste and all this so so you do see examples of it uh, Patagonia as well they work a lot with sustainability so there are some really good examples where there are big companies taking this seriously but I I mean I'm, I'm just I'm so not impressed by the fashion industry and I feel <laughs> embarrassed being part of it actually because I think it is um, I don't really see innovation coming from the industry that's why I think technology is definitely the right direction. I, I think it's repeating a system which isn't really working. It is sort of based on the whole salon idea back in the couture days when, you know, the, the very rich came to buy and, and that has sort of remained the same for more than 100 years. 
and there's it, it's actually surprising because as an industry for for maybe people outside the industry it has an image of being really innovative and forward thinking but actually it is a really sort of like closed system which isn't really engaged Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. that much in in the new technologies and new ways of doing things so so that's why i think technology is really important okay um we're going to open it up to questions in just a minute so get your thinking hats on also a thing on facebook or twitter that comes in we'll pick that up as well but i just wanted to pick up on this kind of fear around innovation mm. and why that is and that you've worked with lots and lots of big brands and this fear around innovation it's not just a fashion thing it's an everyone thing yeah. in brief how do we get people over that How do we get them past it? How do we get them embracing it? So I think you start with sacking everyone at the top. <laughs> get rid of Boom. the whole Boom, it's done. Get rid of it. So I watched the documentary on Vogue documentary last week. I was like, just get rid of that whole thing. Is Alexandra? I love Alexandra. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so that's that's the first part because they're there to gatekeep and maintain a system that worked for them 20 years ago. Mm. Or however many years ago, um, so I would start there. I also think, and, and this this is like most debates. Uh, if you want change, I think it's not focusing on the innovation; it's focusing on the money. So the brands that are, that are focusing and, and doing well in terms of innovation are they making more money? The same with diversity, the same with everything else. Focus it in on on the bottom line because that's what they hear. So brands like Nike uh, and M&S they need to be talking about the money that they're saving or the new customers they're bringing through the door and be really explicit about what works and what doesn't because I think that works and then lastly it, it really is about the consumer and I think in our, our desire to have things our way we don't always make conscious decisions mm-hmm. I try as much as possible so I definitely don't go into Primark and lots of other stores but it's really difficult you know I do go into Zara and I pick something up for 20 pounds I'm like oh it's a bargain knowing that actually because it's 20 pounds mm-hmm. there's poss- you know something's awry yeah so but i so i think that's really important that we have a kind of consumer action piece 
but there is for me something that's like difficult which is when we look at brands like Nike and we're like they're amazing and they're so innovative and they're doing all this fantastic stuff around sustainability but if we're being honest with ourselves are we buying them because they're doing all this amazing stuff around sustainability or are we buying them because they're throwing gazillions of pounds at amazing advertising campaigns Matthew what do you think is it is all this stuff actually making a difference, or do we just care what David Beckham is wearing? <laughs> I, do, I, I think it is both, and I think that will, you know, marketing isn't going to go away, and I think that that will remain a hugely important part for, of any brand and a sustainable brand. And I think for where we need to get to is this idea that we we're talking about sustainability as a different part of the business that has to be embedded in the business and it's not enough just to say oh, I'm a sustainable business that that has to be our expectation we have, we have to push brands to be at that level but yeah I, I think there is a consumer drive there. Jesse when you were talking you said you talked to the fashion industry and everyone was a bit like and now your biggest kind of clients are within the food industry mm. what flipped the food industry's thinking on it? Is it horse meat? Oh, yeah, I mean, I think horse meat definitely comes up a lot. Yeah, I, regulations are really massive thing in food. I mean, it's just light years ahead. I mean, there's no regulation in fashion, basically. And so that drives sort of standards that go over and above that regulation, and then you end up with, like, tons and tons of kind of compliance needs. And therefore, to be transparent and make your product traceable is, like, kind of a bit of a no-brainer, because you've got to do it anyway to prove certain things. It's not the case in all food, but... Things like allergen, having to print allergens on things. I mean, all of a sudden, it's like you really need to know where things are coming from and you may as well check other stuff at the same time. So should we maybe be saying that rather than having a how-to-dry-clean label mm-hmm. on the back of our jeans, we should have a where-these-jeans-have-come-from label? Well, I, I definitely think so, but I think it's not just going to be not just going to be driven by consumers. I think it, there has to be... I mean, the government could say this mm. needs to be there. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, you don't even need to put, like, it, you, in the label, you need to put where the product is made, but you don't need to put that when you're shopping online, for example. Mm. So, I mean, there's some quite mm. basic bits of regulation. That's that's it happen. used to be like that with Netta Potier, but now they've removed it. Yeah. I noticed that. I mean, there's just, like, it's not going in the right direction. No, and it's really just, I, I've been, like, for years, I've been sort of, like, wondering. I've been thinking, okay, we actually have the co- technologies to communicate so many things. Yeah. Actually, we should be able to go back to understand who made this because mm-hmm. I think we are missing that like that's part of the problem is also in sustainability in fashion and in other like complex product the supply chain is so long and it's just uh, it's really yeah. difficult to understand and if we got a more direct link to where it actually came from I think in some ways to get that compassion and also which will reflect in behavior we need a face and that's maybe a little bit it, I wish it wasn't like that but I think it is like that and I think, just like, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, you know, why isn't anything happening in fashion? It's, it's just in that it's also working with the fabrics, like, there's very little transparency in terms of where is it coming from. If you really, if you are interested in that, the last season I've, I've, I've invested even more time in trying to find, find really high quality product or, or fabrics, but actually it's still very difficult and it is... It's, there, there's so many problems within the industry. It's also as a general thing in the way we consume. We're used to getting so low price product that the way we see materials and resources, it is just so distorted to how it should be. Yes. So there, there are many things that we really need to address. But, but in terms of, for me, I'd really wish that the bigger companies, they would also take 
responsibility and say, okay, we make, for us it's important, we have materials to work from which are sustainable. And, and I don't believe, I mean, even though I work with sustainable um, ethics and, and fabrics and everything, I don't want my brand to be a sustainable brand. I think it's a, sort of like it's an invisible thing. Of course you do it like that. I think every business should take responsibility for the impact of their surroundings. But it's just, I don't understand why there's not more unity in the industry from the really big companies making big money, where they should say, okay, we all need fabrics, let's develop more sustainable fabrics, let's make a more universal certification system, everybody can understand, let's invest, because it, like at the end of the day, it's about investment. The consumers, they haven't been wanting, like or sort of requesting it, so they haven't really been responding to it, but there could be a unity in investment and research. Okay, and that in itself would be a whole new industry, right? So, yes. more jobs, more development. We're going to throw it out to you guys, and there's always a lovely pregnant pause at this moment, but I dare <laughs> someone to raise their hand first. Any questions that you would like to ask our fabulous panel on fashion, tech, innovation, sustainability? Oh, love, lady at the back. Okay, I'm just going to throw that back out so that we've got it for the podcast in case you didn't hear it and everyone else can hear. So, when you're running a smaller, kind of sustainably driven fashion brand, there is great technology out there, but how do you get involved with it? Where does the money come from? How can you make use of it to help smaller brands grow? Um, I think it's actually really easy for small brands to get involved in that kind of technology because what we have, particularly here in London, is an astonishing ecosystem of startups who are beginning to use this technology. <coughs> And every single one of them is looking to develop case studies to see how it could be used. And you know, the example we have here this weekend of uh, Martine working with DoubleMe is a startup who have a really exciting emerging technology, but with no content to showcase. There are a lot of brands who would love to get their hands and work with brands to showcase what they can do because we need case studies. So yeah, we I mean we sit very actively looking across that ecosystem and trying to find interesting people to work with and there are lots out there um, from big 3D modeling companies to, to much smaller ones so if you're interested I would encourage you wholeheartedly to go find them go knock on their door. I was going to say like from a startup tip Nat. Yeah. I was going to say just the technologies you want to, to work with or, or use with pilot stuff give them a call tell them what you do um, and go and see them. I've got um, a brand that I work with and I mentor, and she mixes, she takes DNA samples and she puts them onto clothing or wallpaper, whatever it is that you want. And she knocks on the door of 23andMe, who's a big um, DNA sampling company, thinking they'd say no. And actually, they're like, you know, we'll fly over to San Francisco, would love to, to partner with you. And they, they did that because they recognized what she was trying to do. They didn't really care that she had just started, they recognized the longer term potential. So I would say just make the call, go and see people, and just really drive home the fact that you're doing something different. And I'm sure they'll get on board. Don't okay. If they don't, don't blame me. But I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other questions? Yes, Lady in Grey here. I wanted to ask about the kind of burden on the consumer to change all of this. Um, I think it's interesting we're talking about innovation and clean modeling things, or actually most of our clothes are sewn by a lady in Bangladesh, probably earning very, very little. And I think the ability to understand that as a consumer and to make more conscious choices is actually really, really difficult. So I would just like to kind of push it back to the brand and say, actually, you're going to be making money out of this. And you are the people who found this way of making enormous profits out of 
you know, people the other side of the world who are so distant to us and we can't kind of, you know, there is that kind of, that just space between us and them, you know, how do we begin to close that and how on earth does a consumer do it if there's not a kind of a, a real brand responsibility and a, and a drive to do this innovation? It, it, it's a really complex discussion. There are so many advances in technology and you know, we haven't spoken about robotics and machine mm-hmm. learning yet. But a lot of brands are beginning to employ robots to create, and Adidas being a big example of that, beginning to build shoes with robots, allowing them to bring their manufacturing really close to market. And that idea that robots will be sewing garments is still maybe a little bit in the future. But that balance between supporting an economy and creating wealth and jobs to where we shift it towards computers doing that, I think is something that there's going to be some kind of... Because that throws up its own issues, right? It does. Which is <laughs> when we shift <laughs> the massive social impact. So we, you know, and it is a, a kind of rolling circle, which is we sit here and say, well, I don't want some woman being exploited to make my T-shirt, but equally yeah. I'd rather she was exploited at 20p an hour than some robot was doing it because at least she's getting 20 You know, it's how does that work and... How, who who is in charge of the ethics around that? Surely someone must be. Hello, Jesse. Anyone? <laughs> yeah. Google. <laughs> Basically, Google. I mean, but that's. I think that's the same in quite a few industries. I mean, that's Uber's long game, right? They just yeah. want everyone to use Uber, and then boom, it's all self-driving cars, and there's no taxi driver jobs anywhere anymore. I mean, but I mean, I think that's their long yeah. game, right? They've got a while to get there, but that's, I, I think, I presume that's the model they're going for. Yeah, I mean, that's a massive debate I am unsure about because I'm very pro, like, evolution through technology. I'm not very pro evolution in technology benefiting the few, mm-hmm. which I think is why I'm, I'm personally quite excited about... Um, the idea of sort of more decentralized systems and ownership and governance models that aren't dominated by a couple of large players, but are perhaps more bottom-up or at least voting rights for how they work are slightly more dictated from the grassroots. Um, I mean, there's a lot, a lot going on in that space, particularly with artificial intelligence, etc. Like looking at how we can collectively make decisions about how something like an Uber would be run if it was a global resource. I just want to say, Martin, from a kind of designer point of view, that point which is like you know you throw it out to us as consumers and say well if you started telling me I'm only buying you if you're sustainable then I'd be sustainable do you it's yeah for 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 me it's it's a balance because I I completely agree there has to be a lot of communication as to how a garment is being made and I think so much of this understanding for instance like when for instance when my grandmother was alive like she I had a lot of my understanding from her because she did a lot of sewing mm-hmm. and a lot of these things, like in the way we've been operating for decades, it's been outsourced. So we've removed it from us. So even a lot of the factories, they haven't been closed. So there's uh, there's even more space between us and where the, the pieces are made. And I think that is a huge problem. And really, I mean, I quite like the whole craft um, trend going on because I think there's an element of time um, which is extremely important and the way that we perceive time. Actually, the collection 
the spring summer we, uh, 17, which we showed on Saturday, is called What Time It Is. I know it's sort of like a little bit incorrect English, but sort of I'm a foreign as well, so that's fine. <laughs> but it's basically referring to sort of like time, like in, in so many aspects, like, you know, the way that we are running around trying to control time, but also in the fashion industry, that we are so dictated by all the seasons and the acceleration of time. And, and I don't really believe that's the way forward because I don't think there's enough diversity. I think there's a lot of, you know, it, it, there's a lot of the same. There's, there's missing more sort of more integrity and more diversity in what you're doing. And I think that's, I mean, it, it's, it's a responsibility of the brand to communicate that and to make sure that it's sort of like all clear what, where the fabrics are coming from. For instance, I can say from a perspective of being a small brand, I've been working for bigger brands like Vivian Westwood and Diesel and All Saints. And when I started my own brand, I was really thinking about how can I try to communicate some of these values. And I started having, wherever I could, have the little fabric label from the fabric mill. Uh, I work a lot with uh, smaller Italian fabric, uh, uh, family-owned fabric mills to say like, okay, this is coming from a place like, and, and I think there are all these layers, it's such a complex product. Um, and it's really about communicating that. And, and that requires, of course, a lot of resources, but it's also, there is a huge responsibility from, I mean, the consumer has a responsibility because making something, I mean, you can't go into a shop where it costs 10 pounds and think that, that everybody in the process was treated fairly or the material is, you know, maybe without chemicals. I think there is a responsibility for all of us we really need to, to embrace because otherwise that change is, is really far away and it's overdue. So Yeah, I agree, it's definitely overdue. Uh, yes, Lady Bear? So this goes back to something Matthew one of your first points, mm -hmm. um, which is, it's all very well saying, you know, if I knew more about the sustainability of the product, would it change, I guess, my buying habits? Where does someone find sustainability information? You know, there's not, like with food, a traffic light system saying, if you've got all green spots, you're super sustainable. You know, where does someone find that information? And I guess the second part of that is, is there a role for technology to play in, in tracking that information. So when I first uh, met Jesse, it was through a pitch, and Jesse was talking about provenance and um, what it was going to do, and I was effervescing because I was like, this is what we need. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to walk into a store, scan something on our clothes, and understand the provenance of the product. Um, there's also a, a, another app called Not My Style, and Alicia joined us on a panel, um, on our last panel, and she's trying to do exactly the same thing. So you can walk down a high street and see the points that each door has in terms of their sustainability profile and your ability to pick up any item and understand where it's come from, you know, what the process to get it into that store was. But I think not many brands are, are open to sharing the data. They actually don't know a lot yeah. of a lot of the story. There's there's more than just the labour. It's you know, yeah. chemicals. Yeah. It, it, there's a whole host of things. It's also thinking about what would you, what would the consumer be interested in, and the, the decision making process for people is different. So actually, think about the chemical mm -hmm. bit. I'm quite interested in mm -hmm. what I'm putting on my body yeah. as I'm trying to get into what I'm putting in my body. Mm -hmm. um, so I I think that there's a lot of education needed on yes. both sides. Yeah. Um, and, I, and now I feel more confused and I don't have a solution. I have a solution. Okay, just really quickly. I use a resource called Positive Luxury. 
Um, I don't know yes. if you guys are familiar yeah. with it, but it's also started by some, some fabulous yeah. women. And I think their initiative of kind of branding and giving each brand a symbol when they've done the background work for them is, is worth looking at. Mm. Thank you. Matthew, your solution? Yeah, my solution <laughs> is that we all have a tag in our clothes which has washing instructions and um, seems like an incredibly dated way to give information to a consumer in a very connected world. And I think what is beginning to develop is this new platform for giving that information to consumers. And as Natalie said, if you could just scan, if, if that was our behavior, if we bought a piece, scan it, it becomes part of your, uh, your digital wardrobe and your digital lifestyle, that all of that information should be on there. And what retailers should be doing from now on is beginning to think of what that post tagging world looks like and there are some moves towards that um, I think Avery Dennison who are the big mm -hmm, yeah. taggers of the supply chain are beginning to look at what that next platform will be Maybe in the strike? If we were looking forward 10 years, maybe longer uh, where the fashion industry really embraced sustainability and the innovation and the technology which supports that because we've talked about the first step being a lot more information actually kind of particularly around provenance around manufacturing around where our clothes come from we were kind of looking beyond that and saying what's the one or two biggest differences that we might see if you can benefit without say 10 years down the line where this has really changed what do you see all the different kinds of analysis oh great question oh. Look at that, everyone's going, oh, great question, and then looking at each other. Like, the answer. So my behaviour would be that I bought less, and I maybe bought a winter, winter summer, if we ever had a, like, a proper summer, mm -hmm. uh, wardrobe of key pieces, and I, could, I knew where those pieces came from, and I could scan something on that product, and it, it told me uh, about its composition, um, you know, the welfare standards of where that thing was produced, and I would spend more on that the item because I'm buying a lot less mm -hmm. and I also then had some consideration of how I would dispose of said product when I was finished wearing it whether that's giving it to charity or giving it back to the shop to recycle that would be the ideal for me but there are so many different component parts of making that happen again I'm not sure how we get there yeah I mean I, I think from the, from the work we've done in fashion and like as Nat said we kind of came to this was like, let's make a consumer tool. I mean, the reality is we now work with retailers because I don't think I've met a fashion brand that's large or medium-sized that has any idea what's going on beyond tier one away from them. Like, any idea at all. So, like, the, like nobody can comment on the sustainability of any of these brands because nobody has any clue. So I think that would be number one, is that any, so people have an idea... I mean, like, for example, like every year, like most of the cotton comes from Uzbekistan. Every single fashion brand says, we don't buy cotton from Uzbekistan. And it's like, well, Where who is? is? Like, somebody is. Like, so, yeah, I think it's just any fashion brand themselves, regardless of whether they can communicate to the consumer, have an idea of what's going on, like to raw material level, I think would be awesome. I mean, that, that for me would be like really an amazing change. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it, for me, it's about something you said before which is about this being about business and I think the, the profit and the cash made in fashion needs to be more aligned with sustainability so whether that's renting clothes rather than buying them or whether it's I don't know paying it forward in order to be able to buy something with organic cotton I think there needs to be a, a shift in, in how these businesses make skyrocket profits and that needs to be more sustainable. Matthew, shaking your head, looking distressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
10 years, so I can probably go a little bit beyond 10 years because we, um, my idea would be to completely demolish the model that currently exists. And we've had some interesting discussions with uh, fashion retailers about projects that we're working on, looking at uh, electroactive polymers that can change the colour mm. of your top. So if I could change this to red or green or whatever. And they looked at me in absolute horror and said, mean we'd, we'd, sell, we'd, we'd sell less stuff and um, that idea that what's happened to the music industry could happen to fashion could we could I be downloading content uh, to my clothing could I maybe go to store and have an exclusive in-store experience where I download a different pattern maybe we could bump and share some <laughs> some patterns between us that complete shift of the industry and it will happen. And the high street as it stands today, 10 years from now will look different. 20 years from now will look radically different. Mixed reality, virtual reality will get rid of any need to have 200 stores across the country. I mean, really? I, um, I'm excited by what will come. And I, I genuinely don't believe that it will be the existing brands that are out there now. There'll be one or two that move with those times but I think you'll see new brands just as 20 years ago we didn't have a Google or a Facebook or an Amazon um, they, those guys have some power to make some change yeah. I, yeah, I really feel that I'm part of a dying industry and I know that's really absurd because it is a huge industry but I just think the way that we do things sometimes the complexity of developing a garment with the everything from the pattern cutting to the fittings to making another one and another one and you have four fittings and then you have the final one and as much as I and my whole education and experience in the industry is very much based on that craft and I think for me it's essential if you are going to make good products and and something which is beautiful you need that understanding but I really, I mean, I see the future in the technology because in some years we'll be able to, you know, to maybe the whole design process. It's also something I have a problem with in the industry. Like everything is done by one recipe. There's not much innovation in how to do it. It's like there's an inspiration trip very often, often going to the same places and the same process. And, and I'm thinking, how is that going to give us different things? How is that going to, to give us more inspirational, intelligent options? And... I just think that their technology and like maybe you can the whole design process will be be virtual. It'll be you know when you wear the Hololens or some other use some other kind of technology. Actually, skipping a lot of those steps, we'll be able to three D print not just like the amazing intricate details we can see today, but you at one point will be able to grow materials which are more sustainable to use three D printing for the garments. Maybe seams doesn't even exist in ten years, which is you know for the whole fit there'll be more flexibility in the materials. I really like that's the future I see and that's it's such a strange situation sort of being part of the industry but really believing in something else and knowing that that is going to be the future. Okay, we're, we're really short on time, so... Just to counteract that, will there ever be balance between technology and not losing that sort of education you've had in I, yeah. the crafts and that well, I, I think there'll always be something... I, I think craft will all, always mm. exist. I actually, it's something I've been thinking about that I... I mean, that sounds maybe a bit spiritual, but I think there's something <laughs> quite meditative. <laughs> no, but, but I really think there's something quite meditative, and I think that's one of the reasons 
why craft has become more more popular these days is that people they're running around and actually you know sometimes you do need to sit down and just like knit a bit or you know there's something in that repetition which is quite relaxing and I think it's it's interesting and I think as humans we will always need that mm -hmm. so that I, I don't think we will lose that I think it's an important part of us. I think that's a lovely point to close the panel on. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful having you all here today. Thank you for listening and for your interesting, inspiring questions. If you've been to one of these before, you'll know that A, we have a podcast. It goes out a few weeks after this, so do find us on iTunes, or you can download all our back episodes as well, which are wonderful. Um, and you'll also know that we always like to close out with a bit of thank you and gratitude and love. So first of all, a wonderful thank you to our partners in crime, the W Hotel London, who host us and love us and are just fabulous. So thank you to them. And then a big thank you to my amazing panel for their insight, brilliance, and fantastic opinions. Thank you, panel. And finally, a huge thank you to yourselves. Well done for getting up so early in the morning on a Monday. We really appreciate it. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, Grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 